This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. For being with us, please turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel 13. We're going to continue to study the book of Samuel, both 1 and 2 Samuel. We'll be in chapter 13 today. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like a copy of the Scriptures, raise your hand. The ushers in the back will bring you one so that you can follow along. That'll be our gift for you today. You can take that home with you. Leave your hand up so they can find you. And turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13. 1 Samuel chapter 13. And we're going to read verses 5 down through... Verse 14, 1 Samuel 13, 5, And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand of the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped in Michmash to the east of beth when the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Verse 8, he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you didn't come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which He commanded you. For then, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. This is God's holy word. Do not fail to keep God's Word. You know, the Gospel doesn't mean we don't have to obey God's Word. The Gospel means 
we can obey God's words. Kent Capps served us well last week when he went back to the very beginning of the nation of Israel, God's people, and reviewed the critical place that God's Word has always played in the midst of God's people. And this is, this is why we seek to have a high view of the Bible, a high view of Scripture. God has chosen His people for the glory of His name. He has given His people His Word for His glory and for our good and for the good of all the people of the world. If you have this view of Scripture, it changes everything. It really makes His people a peculiar people. I met a woman in New England recently who thought about the world very different than me. Sherry and I were in Maine. We went to Maine on a little vacation and had a wonderful time. We, we did notice in New England, it's a different culture than the South. Their, their view of the world is, is not like our view of the world, certainly in the church. You know, for example, I know we like locally grown stuff around here. I picked that up, you know, with hipsters in the local restaurants. We like organic food. But their attitude about this stuff was like next level. It was more passionate than anything I'd ever seen. I mean, they, they were selling organic, I kid you not, firewood. Organic firewood. I mean... Maybe some of you are going to talk to me afterwards and be like, oh, you, you burn non-organic firewood? <laughs> I confess publicly, I do. There was just noticeably a different view of the world. I kept bumping into it. One day I was fishing. One day, out of the whole vacation, I was fishing. I was fishing for chain pickerel. I've never caught one, still haven't caught one. And I went to a pond, I was planning on wading in it without any waders, and it had lots of grass and logs. It was kind of a foreign place, and this fish is a prehistoric-looking fish with teeth. And so I went down to the lake just to kind of look around before I actually started walking in it. Very remote. No one was around, I didn't think. And before I actually went in the water, I was standing there, and I was startled when it was very early in the morning, suddenly this woman pops out of the lake. She had been swimming in the lake and she popped out of the lake and spoke. <laughs> and <laughs> she looked like she was a little older than I am and I'm pretty old. She had a bathing cap on and all she said was, do you see a spider over there? That's all she said, not hello. After recovering from shock, I looked around. Sure enough, there was a big spider on a rock. And I said, yes. And I said, are you nervous about it? And she said, yes, I am. And at that point, everything was going fine, but that's when I made my mistake. Being from the South, 
I said, would you like that spider killed? <laughs> would you like me to kill that spider? That's what I do. And that got me rebuked. I mean, oh, no, no, no. We, we, we must give spiders their space too. They deserve their space. So I, I dropped back and punted and said, you know, doesn't look poisonous. I think everything's going to be fine. You and your spider enjoy your day. <laughs> you know, we talk about people being man-centered in our culture. In, in other words, our culture tends to encourage us to think and live as if man was the center of the universe and the reason for the universe rather than God, the creator of man. It, it affects the view of our culture, the, the worldview affects how we seek to serve them. But it seems now that our culture is not even man-centered. It's spider-centered. It's, it's animal-centered. It's primate-centered. And these creatures have no less right to be treated with dignity than a man or a woman. People created in the image of God they're destined for either eternal damnation or everlasting glory, but they don't know this. And we're seeking to minister to them. My point is, if you have a biblical worldview, it changes everything. In our age, if you think biblically, you're going to think differently than the overwhelming majority of people around you. You will be thought odd, if you think the Bible is true, if you think it's relevant, you'll, you'll probably be thought mentally unstable if you believe it has authority in your life and if you seek to obey it. And yet, 1 Samuel is going to tell us very clearly today that God's people are chosen by God for His, for His glory, for His name. And the only way they can fulfill their calling and their purpose is to hear God's Word and apply God's Word in their life. And by the grace of God alone, obey the Word of God. The story of Saul here in 1 Samuel is a study in failure. Leadership failure. And not just leadership of an average organization. It's the leadership of the people of God. He was chosen to be king of the nation. Chosen to lead the nation of the people of God. And he failed. There are two critical incidents in his life that were deciphered. Two stages. They were both failures to obey God's Word. We're going to look at both of them today. Chapter 13 is devoted to the first incident. Chapter 15 to the second and that'll be our two points today. Failure number one, chapter 13. Back in chapter 10, Samuel had said to Saul, Go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I'm coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. That is the Word of God from the, the prophet. Saul was given a sign that was to be 
a confirmation of his kingship. He was to wait at Gilgal for seven days until Samuel came. Until Samuel came and offered the sacrifices and communicated then the next word. So he would be instructed on what to do after that. It was a serious word. It was meant to be obeyed. Samuel would have given it very clearly with emphasis. He would have been solemn. Saul should have understood this. The Philistine force that assembled around Saul was massive. It was terrifying. Verse 6 and 7 here in chapter 13, it's a pitiful scene. They're in trouble. They're hiding in caves. They're hiding in holes. They're hiding in rocks, cisterns. They're crossing the Jordan. They're running. They're trembling. Those who stayed. This is how Saul's reign begins. He he disobeyed God's word because he's afraid. He's losing his army. By the time he gets done, only one in five men. The original 3,000. He has 600 left. They're staying with him. And verse 8 says, He waited seven days. That was the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come. People were scattering. He couldn't run and hide because he was the king. So he, he took the Word of God serious enough that he waited seven days. You can just see him each and every day. Where's Samuel? Anybody seen Samuel? His, his little army's getting smaller and smaller, and he thinks, I've got to do something to rally the troops. He, he decides, I've got to do something. I've got to act. I've got to encourage the men. We would all be tempted to do this. So he decides to do this this sacrifice would have, which would really say to people, God's going to be with us. But really what he did was rather than remain faithful to the Lord, he acted foolishly. Verse 9, bring the burnt offering here to me, the peace offerings. He offered the burnt offering. And then... Verse 10, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, the narrator, the writer, wants you to see this. Behold, look, as soon as he was done, in walked Samuel. The very moment, clearly, this is a divine test. The Lord is providentially revealing Saul's heart. Samuel, verse 13, says to Saul, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command. You haven't obeyed. You haven't applied the Word of God and sought to obey it. And the consequences. He later says he acted because he was seeking the favor of the Lord. He was getting ready to go into battle. It's God's people. It's God's army. What's wrong with this? It's exactly what Samuel told Saul he would do when he came. I mean, you've got to be feeling some sympathy for Saul. We tend to be like him. 
So it's easy for us to kind of empathize because we're like him. Man, I waited seven days. You could have come in six. That would have been nice. And, and Samuel's judgment seems harsh. We have to wake. We, we're waiting on the Lord. We're waiting for something to happen. We tend to try to do something. But listen, Samuel's judgment is God's judgment. Samuel's not sympathetic. He's not understanding. He's not like us. He's been told, Saul has been told explicitly not to make any move until Samuel gave him the word of the Lord. Do not do anything. You're the king. You're God's chosen king. You're, you're leading God's people. You may not do anything without a word from God. It is not okay to disobey God's Word, even if it seems wise and reasonable, understandable, even when we're tempted. Saul was moved by the circumstances. He chose to rely on his own effort, religious efforts. Samuel, what have you done? And Saul's response is very revealing in verse 11. I saw that the people were scattering from me. That would tempt you. You did not come within the seven days. I waited seven days. The Philistines had mustered. They were assembling. They were rallying. They were, the Israelites were in trouble. People were leaving. And Saul had to obey God. To obey God, he had to trust God right now. Even though everything was going against him. So he forced himself to disobey God's Word. And Samuel says, you have done foolishly. What this says to us is how important it is to stick with God's Word. In God's world, God's Word with God's people, no compromise. When we were in New York, as we were, we were driving to Maine, we went through New York, and I got caught up in a little controversy up there. There's a lady named Cynthia Nixon. You may have heard of her. She was an actress. Now she's turned to politics. She's running for governor in New York. And uh, when we were up there, it was fascinating to read about some of the criticism she was, she was facing. She was partnered with a man for 15 years. They had three children. They weren't married, but they had a partnership. And now she's married to a woman. But none of this is a problem politically for her at all. In fact, in many ways, it's an asset. So, so what's, her, what's the criticism? What's the problem? It's her choice of bagels. I'm not kidding. There, there is a, a serious controversy going on over her choice of bagels. Writer for the Wall Street Journal, forget the Yankees, Mets, or Giants, Jets. New Yorkers are now split over the cinnamon raisin bagel and how, or even whether, it should be consumed. 
Some view the cinnamon raisin bagel as an acceptable sweetened version of the original. Others, particularly native New Yorkers weaned solely on savory bagels, view the concoction as nothing short of heresy. And they, I'm serious, they think it's heresy. Bagels should come in the classic varieties, sesame, salt, poppy, onion. And on Sunday, the cinnamon raisin bagel was the hole in the center of a debate that shook the political world. At the legendary Zabar's Market on the Upper West Side, actress-turned-politician Cynthia Nixon ordered a cinnamon raisin bagel topped with locks, capers, red onions, cream cheese, and tomatoes. That's what I want, she said defiantly. A local news site videoed it, put it out there, got on social media. Most vocal are those New Yorkers and other bagel fans who have expressed a firm belief that Mrs. Miss Nixon committed a, a gaffe. I can no longer vote for Cynthia Nixon. Her decision, wrote one lady, suggests that at best she exhibits poor judgment, and at worst that she's crazy, and she's definitely not a real New Yorker. People get passionate about different things, don't they? I bet if we talked to each and every one of you, there'd be things that would really get you that we would think were a little odd. We would think that's a small thing. You'd think it was critical. It was a weighty matter. What we learn from 1 Samuel, you may not think obedience to God's Word matters, but for God, it's important. That's what 1 Samuel is saying to us. I, I, lear I, I learned a lot about bagels. I loved learning about bagels. What struck me was how riled up these people were. I actually went and had a poppy seed bagel. It's the best bagel I've ever had in my life, but I don't care about bagels. And I'm not going to vote for a candidate based on their opinions on bagels, but some, for some people, this was a serious issue. It said something about whether this woman could represent them politically. God cares about His Word more than you care about it. anything else. He cares about His people obeying His Word more than you care about anything else. That's the message. And that's why Saul's response got such a serious response from God's prophet. We, we've got to remember what God asked Saul to do was was extraordinary under the circumstances. It was close to impossible. I mean, I, I would almost say it was impossible. To obey God in those circumstances would have required, would have demanded a faith in God, a trust in God that is almost impossible for a mere human being in the context we're mistaken if we think obeying God's Word is easy. It's never easy. It's never simple. And you can never see the foolishness of disobeying God's Word by looking at external circumstances. When you look at the circumstances, or think about how you feel, or think about the opposition, in most cases, 
it's going to look foolish to trust God and obey God's Word. The wisdom of obeying God's Word can only be seen when we take into account something other than circumstances and feelings. So pause for a minute and think about your life and all that's going on. Are you being tested? Are you being tested? Is there a situation in your life where everything says disobey God's Word, ignore God's Word, don't apply it in your life? 1 Samuel is encouraging you, don't compromise. He says in verse 14, Now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. The only king who can rule God's people is a king who's obedient to God. A man after God's own heart. This really, literally, it, it's, it's not so much about the man as it is about God. It's who God is choosing. He is choosing a man in his heart. And it's going to be a man according to his own will and purpose. Saul was the king the people asked for. Now God's going to have a king after his heart, in his heart. He's always planned that Israel would have a king. And now he set his heart on a man we'll learn about in the coming weeks. He's chosen a king for himself. What was, what was fearful for Saul was the Philistines. What he should have been afraid of was the Lord. We tend to be like Him. We sympathize with Him. Because it's hard for us. We have good news. There is an obedient king. The failed king is pointing to the obedient king. Hebrews chapter 5 says, In the days of his flesh... Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to Him who was able to save Him from death, and He was heard because of His reverence. Although He was a son, He learned obedience through what He suffered. And being made perfect, never one time did He disobey God's Word. And He did that for everyone that is united to Him by faith. Being made perfect, He became the source, the basis, the ground of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. In light of the, the Gospel, are we able to disobey God's Word? May it never be. May it never be. Our Obedience is never the grounds or, or the source of our eternal salvation. It's not the basis of our acceptance with God. Christ alone is our confidence. He obeyed for us. Because He obeyed, because He suffered for us, He is our salvation and we obey Him because He's our Savior and He's our faithful King. Amen. Point number two, chapter 15. Turn with me, please, to the second incident. 
Failure number two. Again, Saul fails to obey the Word of God. Verse 10. The Word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed and went on down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. Listen, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we've devoted to destruction. Samuel said to Saul, Stop! I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go, devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, very important, very familiar verses. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, pay attention, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. Verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Saul's second failure in obedience is found here. He, he was instructed to destroy the Amalekites. He was commissioned by God to bring the judgment of God to the Amalekites. And he failed to fulfill the Word of God, his instructions. This, this moment defines Saul's kingship. You can't understand 
solve if you don't understand this chapter. In verse 1, Samuel said to him, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. The Lord made him king. God chose to make him king. And therefore, he must submit to God's prophet Samuel. Even though he's king, even though he's supreme, even though he's in authority, he's not the ultimate authority in God's nation. He is subject to God's prophet. The people he's reigning over are not his people. His kingship is, is different than the other nations. He is reigning over God's people. And so one thing is essential. Listen to the words of the Lord. The Amalekites were the first people to threaten God's people after the exodus from Egypt. And on that occasion, God promised, I will utterly blot out the memory of the Amalekites. That was God's judgment for their sin. And Saul's mission was to carry this out. God told him, verses 2 and 3 of chapter 15, to devote to destruction everything. And I mean everything. But verse 8 says, He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the, all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people, verse 9, Saul and the people... There's an emphasis here that Saul is initiating this. Saul is involved. Saul and the people spared Agag. And the best of the sheep, and the best of the oxen, and the best of the fattened calves and the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. God had said, don't spare them, but Saul and the people spared them. So the Lord says to Samuel, verse 10, I regret, wow, that I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me, has not performed my commandments. Samuel was angry. Saul led the nation of Israel according to something other than the Word of God. And so God says, I regret I made him king. He was sorry he made him king. God so enters into the lives of His people that their failures affect Him somehow. There's some mystery here. It's a tragedy. Samuel knows it's a tragedy. He stays up all night Saul is the king who failed. And now in verse 12, he, he rises early. Samuel rises early to meet Saul. He's had a sleep, sleepless night. He knows it's going to be a bad day. He's got to confront the king. And then he finds out he's built a monument for himself. Moses had defeated the Amalekites in Exodus, he set up a monument 
for the Lord. The Lord is my banner. Saul sets up a monument for himself. Saul says to him in verse 13 when he sees him, Bless be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. That's exactly what God said he did not do. Now why? It was so clear to the Lord. It was clear to Samuel. Why wasn't it clear to Saul? Because sin is deceitful. Sin blinds us and it leads us to disobey God's Word. And that's why Hebrews 3 says, exhort one another every day. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3, 13. We should encourage each other every day because of the deceitfulness of sin. It deceives Saul and it will deceive us. If you, if you think it won't, you're mistaken. You're in danger. There's a rehab facility called Redemption House. I get emails from them and read their material. and They deal with people and help people struggling with drug and alcohol addictions. The program manager recently wrote about warning signs that a person who has successfully gone through the program is headed for a relapse. He said, over the past 10 years, I've seen so many people relapse that I've lost count. So he did this post. Here are warning signs. You've gone through the program. You've been an alcoholic or you've been addicted to some form of drug and, and you've come through successfully. But here are warning signs that you're going back. He said the number one warning side is drifting away from community. He said we're saved into the body of Christ. So you can see why I like this rehab facility. And we're meant to live in community with other believers in the body. The primary way we enjoy community is through the local church. When those in recovery begin to drift away from the church and isolate, they are pushing against God's design for their Christian life. He understands the deceitfulness of sin. He has seen so many people relapse. So he's saying to them, stay in community when you begin to pull away. It's a warning sign. You're deceived. Saul was blind. He was blind to sin. Blinded by his sin. So he disobeyed God's Word. Everybody saw it. He didn't see it. The Gospel frees us and then it brings us into the grace of community so we can exhort one another. So, by way of application, participate this week in community group. If you're not a part of one, get the information and get in a community group and exhort others and let them exhort you so you won't be hardened by the deceitfulness 
of sin. And community group leaders, serve with joy. You're a means of grace to us. Thank you. Be motivated. You're, you're doing something important. Saul says in verse 13, I've performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is this? What, what is this bleeding of the sheep? The air was filled with his disobedience. So then he begins to blame shift. The people spared the best of the sheep. He's deceived. He shifts the blame. Just like Adam did. The woman whom you gave to, to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree in the Garden of Eden. We're sinners. That's what sinners do. They, they're blinded by their sin and they blame shift. They don't see their sin. The truth is, Saul has turned from following the Lord. That's the truth. Though you are little in your own eyes, verse 17, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king. Note, note what happens when we're judged. All deceptions removed. I, I've kept the commandment. You have not kept the commandment. All blame shifting is silenced. There's no FBI investigation imaginable. Like standing before the Lord and giving an account. The Word of God will search you. The only sound is His judgment. The guilty are always condemned and the innocent are always exonerated. 1 Samuel is about the judgment of God. Verse 22, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better. Because you've rejected, verse 23, the word of the Lord, He's rejected you. It, it's the perfectly justified judgment, penalty for His disobedience. It is a serious thing to disobey God's Word. When we do this, it's like divination. It's like idolatry. It's presumptuous. It's iniquity. It's choosing a different God. God's people respond to what God has spoken. It's central to our faith. Biblical faith is about believing God's promises, hearing His Word, obeying His commands. This is, this is what it means to follow the Lord, to trust the Lord. Disobedience to His Word, it's rebellion. It's idolatry. It's following a different God. It's rejecting God Himself. This is the judgment. This is what Saul hears. And in verse 24, he says, I have sinned. Even he agrees. And that's what will happen to each and every one of us when we stand before God. There will be no complaints. There will be no disagreement. We will just fall on our face before the Lord. Verse 33 says, 
Samuel goes to the king of the Amalekites and he says, this is the word of the Lord, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. It's the holy and righteous judgment of God. It's not what we like. It's not what man thinks is right if he's man-centered. But this is right. Because God is holy and He's the Creator. And the Amalekites were wicked. And they were sinful. And that is the judgment of God. You know, the good news is that God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son who was found in human form and He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? To receive the judgment that you and I deserve. The wrath of God for our sin and our disobedience of God's Word, past, present, and future, was poured out on Him so that we are forgiven. And there's no expectation of wrath and judgment for our sin. We receive what we don't deserve. Christ redeemed us, Galatians 3, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that we don't receive the curse. All those united to Christ by faith alone are rescued from the judgment we see in 1 Samuel. And this morning as a church, we offer the Gospel to everyone in this room. We offer you forgiveness from a holy and righteous and good God in Jesus Christ. We proclaim His Word to you. There's good news. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Confess your sins just like Saul and say, I have sinned. Forgive me because of Christ. And you will be forgiven. You'll be united to Him by faith. And His death will be your death and His resurrection will be your resurrection. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank You this morning for the Word of God. It is good. It is true. It is right. Lord, we acknowledge that today. We're so thankful we're Your people. Lord, we pray today that You would fill us with Your Spirit. Help us, Lord, today to be filled with joy at the treasure that we have found. Thank You, Lord, because of Christ, we have been brought into fellowship with You. The great treasure of the kingdom is communion with You, Lord, a relationship with You. Lord, let us today, in Your joy and by Your grace, obey Your Word for our good. And Lord, ultimately and most importantly, for Your glory. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, 
visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.